2023 was a huge year for us as a business and for me personally, which I want to start off by saying, thanking you guys so much from the bottom of my heart to everybody who listens to these episodes, follows us on social media, likes our content, watches and shares our videos. Um, this whole journey of Northern Baseball training has been absolutely amazing. It's grown into something that I wasn't really planning on it growing to, and it's opened up some doors and some opportunities to do some really cool things. For example, just last month, I flew to Austin, Texas to put on a camp with a coach that I've been following for years and a guy that that I've personally learned a lot from and that's Josh Cathcart from Hitting Done Right which was so much fun and I can't wait to do it again with him and I also have more camps lined up with some other awesome coaches for 2024. So with that as our online presence continues to grow um, in 2023 I decided to start a podcast which has been an absolute blast. I just love talking to people about baseball, about life, about goals, experiences, and so on. And I've had some amazing guests in 2023. From former big leaguers to current big leaguers, you know, ex-professional coaches, professional softball players, and some of the top youth coaches on the internet. So in today's episode, I want to highlight the first half of the year in part one of a best of 2023. I've had a ton of amazing conversations with some amazing people, and I've highlighted some of those conversations from each episode. I highly recommend you go back and check out the full episodes of all these guests, because I think you'll get a ton of value from each one. So here is part one of the best of 2023. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by eight-year MLB vet, former Angels, single A, and Toronto Blue Jays hitting coach, Eric Owens. How's it going, Eric? Good. How are you? And uh, so I took this opportunity to be um, with the Blue Jays, and I'm, I'm so glad I did. It was probably my best, my most fun two years playing or anything else uh, was was that part with those playoff teams. It was unbelievable the way that Canada as a country, no one understands it as an American that I am, that, that you got a whole country behind you, and it's pretty cool to see. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that's, uh, that's one thing that I've been excited to talk to you about, um, you know, obviously being Canadian and being a diehard Blue Jays fan. Um, just what it was like, you know, for those, for those two years as their hitting coach, uh, what was the environment like? Let's just kind of, let's just kind of talk about, talk about those years a little bit. Well, the first year, um, we were hanging in there and I'll never forget Alice Anthropolis called us, uh, all the coaches had a meeting in Chicago, uh, in a boardroom or whatever. And, uh, he goes, well, this was right before the trade deadline. He goes, what, what are our needs? What do we need? You know, all this stuff. So we're like, we need a we need a shortstop. We need a pitcher. We need a reliever. And we're all kind of joking around about it. And he goes, well, I got $2 million to spend. So I don't know how we're going to get all these guys um, that you guys need, right? Uh, so anyway, he actually did, though. He actually traded Jose Reyes, uh, who made more money than Troy Tulowitzki. We got a shortstop that could catch the ball at the time. Love Jose Reyes to death. But he he was he, he started struggling fielding uh, back then. He could hit, still hit, but he couldn't field the ball very well. Then he went out and got David Price. He started moving some money around, and and I think they ended up bumping him up a little bit more. And then once we got those guys, uh, it was it was lights out. I think we we ended up like we were like I don't know thirty one and like six or something after that point, and we were on a roll that year. And then you know we got uh, Texas kind of kicked our teeth in a little bit to start with, and then we we're like, wait a minute, you know. Finally woke up and and we we got that done. That that place went crazy with the bat flow. I've never uh, the whole entire building was shaking. I mean, and there was people crying, guys crying, grown men crying in the dugout because it was that emotional moment of time, and uh, it was unbelievable. I still got goosebumps thinking about it. Um, it was um surreal um, uh, that that moment. The next year in 2016, we expected to win. I mean, we we were like we're gonna. I mean. But, you know, we went through the season. We weren't really uh, – we were just pedaling along. We weren't really doing a lot. We had to come down to the last weekend of the season 
And then the guys started kicking it in gear, and it's like, okay, now now we got this. And then we just blew past Texas that year. It was like they have no shot um, of them. And then, you know, there again, you know, the first year, going back to the first year, that ball that dropped between Goins and Batista kind of killed the momentum. I think we would have been in the World Series that year because David Price was killing. He was retiring people left, right, and center. And that's what, it, what me and you were talking about earlier is you got to be prepared. You can't let a situation be more than what it is, right? And so um, that was that. In 16, we, we really got better um, as the playoffs went along. And we just didn't – Cleveland was a good team. They made it, to the, made, made it to the World Series, and they just outpitched us. And, you know, when you get to the playoffs, it's all situational hitting. And you very rarely can you wait for the three-run homer. And we didn't have a lot of team speed. And I think that's what hurt us more, most of all in 16 because we didn't have Ben Rivera either. And he, he was a big part of us in 2015. But when you don't have a lot of team speed, it's, it's hard to score runs against good pitching. Gives me goosebumps thinking about every time I see the bat flip. It's just, you know, brings us back to, you know, where I don't think about where we were. We were, you know, watching in my house and just running laps around the, the living room. <laughs> just like, like, I mean, just being there, I can't imagine being a part of that team, what that was like um, right. for you. And just, just the way that whole inning happened, you know, air and air. And then all of a sudden, you know, Joey Bats comes up and, and does what he did. Like, right. what, what was your, what was going through your head? During that inning, we know when, you know, when they're, they're dropping the ball and, you know, all the errors happen and then all right. of a sudden. Well, we, well, we're, uh, we, that really got us back in game. I think the inning before, if, if I remember correct, Russell Martin threw the ball back to the pitcher, hit the guy's bat, and then the guy scored, right? So that was, uh, that was, I was a tough pill to swallow. And it's the seventh inning. They had their studs coming in out of the bullpen. And, uh, yeah, the, the first, once, once Russell Martin got on base and then they, over through that second base, it was like wow. And then the bunt was such a bad bunt, uh, and he was out at third base. He just dropped it, and it was like, oh my word, what's going to happen here? And the guy was throwing bowling balls up there. I mean, he was throwing ninety six mile an hour sinkers, and I don't know how. If you if you go back and look at it, I just don't know how Jose hit it. That ball moved. It looked like it moved a foot from the outside to middle end, and he just crushed it. And I mean, when it hit, it was like one of the loudest sounds I've ever heard before in my life come out. It sounded like a cannon had uh, been shot off when that ball came off his bat. Yeah. Memories. Like I, uh, I just, just waiting, we're just waiting to get back to, you know, that kind of baseball again and, and, you know, watching the Jays now they're exciting to watch again and, you know, hopefully we can, we can get back to, to that, that excitement again. And today I'm very excited to be joined by an absolute social media stud coach, Dave Steinman. How's it going? Going well, how you doing? Thanks for having me. What qualities do you think makes a good coach? Being a good player doesn't mean that you're going to be a good coach. I think personally think being a good person and being a good player and doing it for the right reasons uh, makes you a good coach. Because I think I think uh, parents need to be careful who they're sending their kids to because the person they're sending their kids to is not just teaching them how to be a, like baseball skills, right? They're teaching them how to talk to people. They're teaching them how to treat people. They're teaching them work ethic. They're teaching them so much more than just, hey, this is how you hit a baseball. This is how you feel the ground ball. So what qualities do you think that like makes a good coach? I think the first thing is you have to be a really good communicator. Like you need to know how to communicate with children and kids and young adults and, and college players. Like you need to know who the audience is and how to communicate with them and do it in a constructive way. Like Kids don't need to be micromanaged. Like if they take a bad swing, it's not, you did this, you did this, you did this. Like, tell me what you felt and let's talk about what are some suggestions. So like how you communicate to the kids and being a good listener. You know, I had one of the high, high school player I worked with that had been struggling in the early weeks 
and they wanted to get together just to work out so they can talk about some of the the thoughts that they were having. You know, it was more like a therapy session when we were working out than it was making adjustments to the swing. Like the swing was good, but their mindset when they stepped into the box was a little bit off because they weren't seeing the success that they have. So like communicating and listening and understanding that kids nowadays and young adults nowadays, they go through a lot in terms of like their psyche. Like it's up, it's down, the social media, like maybe a friend just sent them the mean Snapchat and now they're thinking about that and like just bringing them back into the straight and narrow and teaching them about setting goals and working towards their goals and not comparing themselves to others. You know, it's more like a life skills coach when you get in there and then you sprinkle in a little bit of the sports specific when you're in there, you know, but I think to be an effective coach, it's you need to know how to communicate and you need to know how to listen as, as the coach, like you're going to communicate the message, but in 2023, you have to give a little bit and you have to listen to the feedback from the kids as you're giving that instruction and things like that. Yeah. I love that. I think you're, you're bang on with all of that is, you know, listening to the kids and knowing that, you know, they're still kids. They're going through other stuff than just what they're doing at your baseball practice. Right. They're going through life stuff, you know, especially a lot of them are, you know, getting into high school and, you know, going through all that stuff, which is, which is its own struggle as it is. And then they come to you and, you know, you got to be able to communicate with them and teach them, you know, how to deal with adversity, you know, especially with like, with baseball, with life, you know, you're going to be failing at a lot of things for the rest of your life, especially baseball. So teaching them to get through that and understanding where they're coming from. Um, Cause you'll get kids, you know, come in and you can just sense that they're, that they're off, you know, like mentally. And, and like you said, and if you can just give them like one little like life nugget while they're practicing, that could help them a lot more than be like, Hey, you need to do this with your hips or whatever. Right. Just kind of teach them more about life and, and, and that kind of stuff. And with social media being what it is, like the instant gratification, like you send a message and your points across. So you you put out a tweet and you've made that, or like you, you post something and you get immediate feedback, like the instant gratification that young adults and kids are getting now, they need to be taught. Like everybody says, trust the process, but they need to understand that it's a long game. Like everything that you do are small little increments to be better tomorrow than you were today. You know, it's not going to be, I go into the cage and I make this adjustment and now I'm going four for four. Or I I communicated my message to my parents the right way. Now I don't have to do it again tomorrow. Like it's, it's teaching them the long game. And today I'm joined by a guy I'm very excited to talk to today. He's a former pro, he's a coach, entrepreneur, writer, husband, father, and just all around good dude, Duke Baxter. How's it going? Hey, thanks so much for having me, man. I've been uh, following a lot of your stuff, Doug, and, and I love it. Uh, what you guys are doing, uh, the coaching, just keeping it simple and just really, you know, I, I think the fun part is uh, being able to teach teach hard skills in a simple way, you know, so I, I love what you guys do. So thanks so much. Yeah, like I like what you said about like mindset and and like and that kind of thing because you know it doesn't matter really how good your mechanics are if you're not locked in with your mindset, your approach, all of that is so important. And I think that's a really important aspect to to teach kids is like it doesn't matter how good your mechanics are if if right. if everything else isn't isn't locked in, right? And I think a lot of kids just focus too much on the actual just just the skill and not so much the approach and the men- mentality and the work ethic and everything else that comes with it. Like, what is your I think this is something that we have in common. Like, what is your like philosophies 
when it comes to like attitude and, you know, teamwork and things like that. Cause I think we, we kind of gel on the, on this, uh, this area. Definitely. I'm, I'm so big on attitude, effort, and hustle. I say it all the time. Like I say it to myself all the time. I say it to the players. I say it to my kids. I, I say it to everybody, right? Because those are the things that you can control, right? Because there's so many other things that are going on out there with social media and, and stats and just all those other things. You know, you can smoke a line drive and it can get caught. Well, does that mean that you had a bad at bat? No, that means you just got out, right? Like, but you can always control your attitude, you know, how you respond to things that are happening. What's your attitude like? Cause that's what can, can raise the level that that's what can raise your team that can raise your, your being a good teammate, you know, having a good attitude, then putting in the effort all the time. You know, like you said, if you want to be a D one athlete, well, then you have to put in D1 effort in the classroom. You have to put in D1 effort in the weight room. You have to put in D1 effort, making sure that you're getting rest and sleep. You have to make sure you're putting your D1 effort in everything you want. You can't just want to be D1, but then put in D3 effort when it comes to school and D4, like, you know what I mean? Like everybody wants D1, but they don't want to do what D1 needs to do. So, and, and then the hustle, I was always, I was just always that guy. Like all my coaches would just be like, man, you're the guy, like you wanted holding onto the rope. If, if I was hanging off a cliff, like you're that guy. And I always just hang my hat on those things. Cause I wasn't the fastest guy. I threw like 82, 83. I could never break a seven. Oh, you know, but I was strong. I was gritty. I, I always, I anticipated very well. Well, so I was always in the right spot. People would think I was fast. That's just because I hustled. That's the only reason why. Or, you know, overthrow by the catcher to first base. And there I am backing up second. I catch the ball and I'm ready to, you're like, dude, how do you, well, it's just like, you need to do some of those things. Your attitude, effort, and hustle has to be at this level when you don't throw a 93 and hit balls, 110 mile an hour exit velos or run a, you know, a six, three, like if you don't do those things, the other side has to be that much stronger, you know, and your instincts have to be that much better. So if you can mix those into your player and they have some of those other skills, dude, that's how you have superstars. Yeah. 100%. I love that. And I love like how you do one thing is how you do everything. That's, I firmly believe that. So like, so if you're kind of just kind of, you know, just half-assing it over here and and expect to just flick the switch over here. It's not going to happen. You got to go, you know, work ethic with everything that you do with your school, with your practice, with your games, with, you know, with your school, like with everything you got to, you got to, you know, put it all on the table for everything. And I think that's what makes a good player is not just, not just good being talented. Right. And the old saying of, you know, talent doesn't beat hard work. Right. Um, I think that's, that's super important. And, and I think we, we gel on this with, um, with mindset and attitude and hustle and effort. We have a zero tolerance policy for like negative attitudes for, for not hustling, like zero tolerance. Like you're like, if you throw your helmet, you're out. Like, I don't care how good you are. I don't care if this is the finals of, of national championship. If you come in here and you throw your helmet, that's just going to bring the whole team down. And uh, I, I love finding those videos too of like big leaguers that get out and they slam their helmet down and it comes up and smokes them in the head or <laughs> they throw their bat and it hits a buddy in the shin and then the buddy grabs a bat and freaking smokes him. And it's like, bro, like you have to control that stuff because kids have to realize those are the things that when you go outside and you're getting recruited, that's the first thing they see. How does he get off the bus? Is his shirt tucked in? How's he wearing his hat? How's he talking to his teammates? What is, how's is he reacting when his mom comes over, when his dad comes over after his buddy gets a hit? Is he the first one giving high fives or is he sitting in the back hoping everybody gives him a high five? Like those are the things that coaches want 
You know, like that's the stuff that we're trying to teach the kids. Like, it's not all about you. It's about everybody. And in return, you're going to get a lot more out of it. And college coaches see right through that stuff. And kids don't believe that. They don't understand that. You better throw 93. They could care less. <laughs> If you throw 89 and you're a good teammate, you're gonna they're gonna take him over the 93. Maybe not in a PBR showcase because you can't see what those other intangibles are yet. But once a coach goes and watches a game, he's like, dude, this kid's this kid's a gamer. This kid throws 93, but he gave up one hit and all of a sudden he's his 93 just turned into 86 because he's he's pouting and like kids need to hear this more and they have to know that it's a real thing. I like to teach the guys, you know, the difference between reacting and responding, right? You strike out, reacting is throwing your helmet and, you know, kicking the dirt, whatever, blaming the umpire. Um, responding is, you know, putting your head down, running out to the field, making the next play, right? There's two sides of the game and there's a huge difference between reacting and responding. And today I'm joined by one of the best hitting coaches on the internet, if not the best hitting coach, uh, Josh Cathcart. How's it going? Good, man. How are you? I appreciate that. The swing mechanics are the swing mechanics. They're just different ways. And I think that, you know, certain people have to think about different things. But at the end of the day, what you said is 1,000% spot on. Load properly and on time, get to balance position, and be on plane. That's it. Pretty simple. And, yeah. yeah, and however that looks to you, you know, some people may need more – 50-50 position at launch. Some people may want to feel a little more back-legged at launch. Some people may want to really feel that front foot get into the ground and work around the spine and the hips. Some people may, you know, really want to feel the tilt or whatever it is. But if you're teaching something that the end result and goal isn't gap-to-gap line drives, then you're missing the boat. But other than that, Man, if it if it works and that is the result that we're getting, competitive at bats, high quality line drive contact in the cage, <laughs> go with it. Gap to gap is what you have to do in the cage. You live live for righties, you know, live right over second base in the cage, yep. right? Where you get a lot of kids, they get in there, they just want to yank it to third base as hard as they can. And, you know, and especially in the cage, like if you're doing that in the cage, like what do you think is going to happen in a game, right? You need to be able to go the other way. And I know you're big on that too, which is, which is awesome. So as, as like a hitting coach, what do you look, what's the first thing that you look for when like a kid comes in, whether it's, you know, with a lesson or, you know, I know you do video analysis online. Like what is the first yeah. thing that you look for? In person, it's easier um, because people send in stuff kind of in slow motion sometimes or choppy. You don't really get a feel, but I always look for rhythm first. Um, I want to see if they have some sort of flow to them. You know, even if it's on a tee, not even matched up against the ball moving, just is there some rhythm? Are they a robot? Does it look, you know, you can tell those kids that get there and they're really like thinking about what's about to happen instead of just free flowing. And even if the free flow isn't necessarily correct, it's I'm free to do this. I'm not, you know, hindering myself by being confined to my own brain and worried about all the, you know, where are my hands, where are my elbows, where are my shoulders? So rhythm's the first thing. And then from a fundamental standpoint, I always look at the load. Like, what are we looking at in the load? Are we bouncing? Are we just shifting? Is there a load? And then launch position. Yeah. You know, me and you have done numerous posts on, on, on launch position. Um, it's an absolute, you know, I tell people all the time, 
you know, there's those people out in the world that, well, there's no such thing as launch. It's all fluid, blah, blah. Yes, it happens in an instant. But if you go and Google launch position in your search bar and hit search, the first image that comes up is like 20 of the greatest hitters of all time. Exact same. All in launch. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's a real thing. And yeah, you don't get there and it's like, okay, I, I land and launch and then I wait. I mean, it's all fluid. But when that front foot makes contact with the ground, there are certain positions that we really want to see the body be into, not only for maximum power production. When I say power, I don't mean necessarily home runs. I mean, hard, hard contact. Guys, yeah. Yeah. But also for adjustability. What do you think, you know, working with those like higher level guys, what do you think separates like a high level, like pro guy to like a guy that doesn't quite make it. Attention to detail and sacrifice. Their, their attention to detail in the cage. Even if you're talking about a, a good varsity player versus a good college player versus a pro guy. Um, I've had a couple pros come in just, you know, they were in town. They wanted a place to come hit. You know, they weren't looking for anything from me. They just knew who I was and wanted yeah. a place to hit. Um, and watching them go through their process, that that's the biggest thing, man. It's the, you know, I could have one of my 10-year-olds come in and tell him to go hit on the tee, and he'd hit 50 balls in five minutes, where <laughs> the pro guy came and hit on the tee, and it took him about 20 minutes to get through half a bucket. Yeah. Because it was step out, regroup, what do I want to do with this swing? Or do I want to recreate the feel or do was something wrong? Do I need to, you know, what do I need to do with this swing? It's so deliberate. Um, and then the sacrifice, you know, just the time, you know, away from friends, away from family, away from your other hobbies that you like to do. Um, I know it's cliche, but the ones that work the hardest are the ones that succeed the most. Um, 100%. Yeah. And, just that level. Like if you take a high school guy and be like, oh, hey, man, you think you, you worked good today? You think you had a good session? Oh, yeah, coach, I was on it. Versus the pro guy or the higher level college guy, like what what good workout looks like mm -hmm. um, is totally different. And today I'm joined by the other half of Northern Baseball Training, my partner in crime, my business partner, my taller but way less handsome younger brother, uh, Chris Clark. What's up, dog? What up, man? How's it feel to be on the podcast and make your debut in front of all the millions of people listening, including uh, Jose Canseco, which we're going to get to in a second? <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, it feels good. Let's do it. Uh, the Jose Canseco thing, I just got to, I want to touch on that before we even really get started. You know, I don't usually address negativity or negative comments, but I got to talk about that post. So I made a post of a softball girl from university of washington making a swing and just to compare like that baseball swings are the same as softball swings um and the comments on that post are just insane not even going to get started on all the the grease ball comments from all the pervs on the internet but jose canseco chimes in and terrible swing out of nowhere <laughs> oh grown man chirping a uh a high school or a college girl you get a comment from jose canseco like just out of nowhere like from the rafters like what do you i don't know like it's it's so hard to like even just describe like what this what series of events made him just like he's scrolling through tiktok 
he sees this and he's like, no, no, I got to put my stamp on this. <laughs> I got to chime in on this. <laughs> like some guy comments like, oh, you're not going to answer to that. Like, no, I mean, a grown man making fun of a college girl. No, I'm not even going to acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah. And so let's just kind of jump back to like minor baseball and youth baseball. There is a problem, I think, everywhere about, you know, keeping kids playing, um, not having kids quitting um, because, you you know, the goal is to grow the sport. You want kids to fall in love with the sport and not just play it. Oh, that wasn't very fun. And then stop playing and then go play soccer or lacrosse or whatever you want to, you want to keep kids into it. So what, what do you think, what do you think the the challenges are, you know, for, you know, minor baseball here and just everywhere with, with keeping players interested in having fun and keeping them playing for, for a long time? Yeah. This is something we talk about all the time because it's, it's, it's hard to, to keep these kids as they get older, motivated to keep playing which is a big part of why we even started doing what we're doing. Um, but yeah, like I think like the biggest thing is, is probably just putting in the work in, a, in an area like of what we were in Northern BC, you got to put in that off season work. Not every kid is going to want to do that, but the more open you are and the more options they have to, to come out and, and get their work in. Cause everybody hates to suck. Nobody likes to miss yeah. and, and swing and strike out. And uh, if they're not, getting told because like we talk about it all the time we have a kid that comes in and you look at his swing and he's he's raw he doesn't really know how to play but he wants to play so like you can make like one little tweak or tell him one or two things and then that kid doesn't strike out as better yeah as as much you know like they're they're getting they're getting better and like that's that's where i think it, it it gets missed out in the league is that it's a lot of these kids that are quitting are just one technical step away from oh, yeah. from falling in love with the game because a lot of these parents there these coaches are just parents that are just that want their kid to play yeah, and they need help too nobody volunteered so they're yeah. they kind of stuck in it and you know like if one kid has a, a bad season or doesn't have a good time he's not coming back next year he's playing mm -hmm. soccer he's playing hockey and that's what you want to want to want to get away from and i think it just goes across the board in sports. Yeah, if you make it fun for them while they're learning, then they're going to stay and they're going to have fun. Because I mean, I've made multiple videos of like, this is what you should do as a beginner coach. If you know nothing about about coaching and you're you know you got voluntold voluntold into coaching your kid, like these are the things you need to, you should do. Like like super basic. Like let them have fun. Like let the kids play every position. Like nobody cares who who wins. Like honestly, like yeah, like as you get older and you start to get to a higher level, yeah, you want to compete and you want to win and you always want to compete and always want to compete and always want to win. But at those younger ages, like that's not the goal. The goal is not to win. And even at like, like 11, 12, 13, you, you see a lot of these um, like all-star coaches and all-star teams, like only focus on winning and they go to these tournaments and it's not even like provincials or, or anything. It's just like a, a tournament on like a May long weekend that literally doesn't mean anything. Those yeah. are the weekends where you need to really, really focus on developing these players and getting everybody in. And and like, like yeah, you're still trying to compete and you're still trying to win always, but that's not the number one goal. The number one goal is to have these kids like have fun, learn, and obviously get better. But like so many like people just focus on like winning, like winning. Okay, best lineup every game. These guys sit every game. Like it just because they're not as good. It's like, well, those kids aren't going to get any better. Like 
yeah, it's an all-star team, but they're still only 12 years old. Like they're not even like developed yet. What you're like, you're not going to win every tournament. So if you like make it like unfun for this team because you're trying so hard to win and you don't win, you didn't even learn anything. A lot of those kids, like you said, like they're like on the bubble and they don't even get an opportunity to, to play. They didn't have any fun and then they quit. When they're, a lot of the kids are quitting before they even have a chance to develop as like like people like physically. Yeah. Like like you, you were like the smallest kid for so long and then all of a sudden like you're the biggest kid. Like yeah. imagine if you'd have quit because you were when you're the smallest kid, you would have quit before you you were able to grow. I think that happens with a lot of people, a lot of kids is they they quit before like they're already written off because they're the small kid. It's yeah. like, you know, they're written off so early because of of how good they are when they're 11. Like the people at the like the the good kids, quote unquote good kids, are only going to see those kids at the bottom of the barrel as the like the the kids that aren't as good forever, um, which is unfair for for them, right? Just because they were yeah. they were short when they were ten and they weren't very good when they were ten, they're always going to be seen as the kid that isn't very good or isn't very fast, right? Parents need to also know that they're watching the game from the same stands of that kid that just got taken out, and you know, like they. We see it all the time. You have parents in the stands and they're just, you know, you got a little clicks of parents and they're whispering like, oh, why is, why is little Johnny going in? Like my kid's playing awesome or that kid's playing why awesome. Why did he get taken out? He just plays why, four for four. It's like, you know, why is this kid going in or don't take him out? He's pitching well or whatever. It's like you're sitting next to their parent. They can <laughs> overhear this. Like you're sitting next to the parent, their siblings, like their grandparents, like they, everybody's here to watch their kids play. And, you know, you have these parents that are just like really uh, narrow minded when it comes to what success is in youth baseball. You know, like the, the success is just those kids go out and they fall in love with the game. That's that's what you want. You want Especially them to, at that age. Like, yeah, man, like you just want them to just fall in love with it. And I think if you don't let get those kids to love it, they're going to. They're going to go to high school and they're going to find something else that they're going to love. It all starts with like the coaches and the parents, like setting good examples. You know, I talk about it all the time, but like for the, a lot of the parents will like, like you said, Timmy's playing well, why are they taking him out? Like, and then the kid comes home, comes into the car and they're driving home. It's like, and then they start chirping the coach and then they start chirping the kid who went in for him. And yeah. And then he went over four after they took you out. Like, and it's just like, that just does nothing good. Like it's a mean, nothing tournament. On May long weekend at 12 years old, it was this kid's turn to play. You hadn't sat yet. Like, who cares how well you were doing? Like, yeah, obviously you want to do well and you want to play, but like that, like that's not the purpose. And then when the you get that negative talk between parents and then between parents and kids and, and then parents and players, it just makes like for a toxic environment, like all yeah. the time. And like when a kid makes an error, it's like, oh, why is he playing short? Like so and so should be playing short. It's like He's 12 years old, man. Like <laughs> grab a glove and go down shortstop and I'll let me hit you some rockets at you and see if you make an error. It's not that easy. And they're still kids. And today I'm joined by a friend of mine, my college baseball coach and the current coach for the Humber College Hawks women's softball team in Toronto, Ontario, Dwayne Bowles. How's it going, man? I'm all right, man. How are you doing? How did you transition to, to softball? Uh, it's to, uh, so it's crazy and you're going to laugh, obviously. <laughs> um, I was dating somebody on the team at the time. Um, and so I would go to the games and I was like, man, this is different. Like something needs to change. And then, so I started just helping out on the, on, on the back end. 
Um, and then, then I started sitting on the bench and then I became an assistant. Um, uh, and then the team kind of just fell to me, um, because of circumstances. Um, but I mean, it didn't fall. Like I wanted it. Uh, I walked into the athletic director's uh, office and I said, I want it. Um, and like the crazy thing, like, I remember like texting Ray, uh, Chadwick and I said, Hey man, so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm coaching softball now. <laughs> and he's like, come on. Um, and it's just, it was one of those things where I was just around it by accident kind of. And now it's one of those things that I don't know if I'll ever leave. I feel as though like there was just a huge need, uh, swing paths were really like off and a lot of girls not really being able to throw from different arm slots and not being able to throw on the run. And it's just like, I, I am a firm believer, especially now, like if we're going to teach elite level boys, um a certain way then why are we not teaching elite level girls the same um and love it i love that literally my my mission statement i guess as to why i continue to do it over and over and over again um why i run myself into a wall and run my head into a brick wall sometimes with just people look at me like i'm a i'm a dragon with two heads sometimes or, or i'm a warlock and they're like why are you doing it that way why do you teach it that way um and i think a lot of it has to do with um, a lot of people are not watching the product um, at the highest level. Yeah, 100%. Um, they're, not watching it. they're not watching it at the NCAA, NCAA level. And they're not understanding that um, coaches in the NCAA are adapting and they're they're learning and they're teaching things differently. Like even without our national team level, um, Kaylee Rafter has just taken over um, and she's an assistant coach at Florida State. Um, and a lot of the things that they're doing with the national program uh, is – what some people would say the new age guru way of, uh, of hitting where which is, it's not the new age. It's not, it's just the way that people are teaching body movements and um, biomechanics and, and, and we're now doing things the right way. Um, and uh, I, I just, there's a lot of opposition um, in the softball game. Um, and I'm hoping that we can bridge the gap somewhat soon um, because like the Japanese are very fundamentally sound and obviously the Americans are very fundamentally sound. And like, we got some good athletes um, north of the border here. And I think if we can start uh, training them better at a younger age, that we're going to be able to bridge the gap between the two teams at the top and us at number three. Yeah. And, and I love that because, you know, we're a big advocate for, you know, a swing is a swing, whether that's, yeah. you know, softball or fastball and especially at the higher level, like, like you said, right. if you just watch it, if you just study the high-level fastball players, softball players, and the high-level baseball players, it's the same. Like there the is no – at the lower levels, yes, you'll get a lot of, you know, some softball coaches start teaching a different thing, and that's just kind of what they were taught, right? Mm -hmm. Because they were taught by somebody who, you know, isn't as educated in in the actual swing and what it's supposed to look like. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate for that, and um, ever since we started – training softball players too. And we teach them the same thing we teach the baseball players, right? And they're, and it's working and they're hitting lasers and it's just, it's fun to see. And, you know, I just, I just made a post on social media. I think it's almost at a million views now about like how the swing is the same. And yeah. just the comments on that is just like insane. Like I talked it's about insane. with Chris yesterday. It's like, it just nonstop, man. Every time I open up my phone, it's just like a hundred more comments about like, no, it's different. It's, it's fastball is easy. And like, it's not easy. Like it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not. hard, man. Like 
I started playing in it um, a couple of years ago when COVID hit, our baseball league got shut down. So all the baseball guys were like, well, we still want to play in the fastball league was still playing. So like, well, let's just give it a try. Right. And in my brain, I'm like, oh, smaller field. I'm going to hit taters every time. Right. And then they're blowing rise balls past you every single time. And you're just like, okay, this is hard, actually. It's incredibly it's difficult. Well, the biggest issue that I started seeing well, so when I once I took over the college program uh, is the players weren't ready. Like we're getting to a situation where like girls were struggling to hit the ball out of the infield and we're hitting balls straight into the ground and wondering why we're losing at the college level because that's when it matters. Like like winning and losing matters at the college level. In college, yeah. We're smashing ground balls at the third baseman, at the shortstop, and wondering why we're not scoring runs. Um, and uh, I mean, we're, we're swinging with an extremely negative swing plane. So yeah. I was like, I got into coaching the younger I mean, kind of selfishly, um, because I was hoping that if we can kind of, you know, bridge the gap and start teaching things correctly, um, I don't want to say correctly, because some people are successful with slightly negative swing planes. Sydney Romero, or not Sierra Romero is one of them. Um, and I have a couple of players that have played for me that have had slightly negative swing planes that we haven't really changed because it works for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we can get the barrel in the zone, and I think that's what people are missing, we're trying to get the barrel in the zone longer so mm-hmm. we can hit the ball harder to all fields. That's literally the 100% uh, teach as to why we're doing these things. And today I'm joined by a man of many hats, which we're going to get into all of that today. Uh, he's the current coach of the Douglas College Royals, Brad Robinson. How's it going? Good. How are you, man? It's great I'm doing to be awesome, here. man. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. But yeah, no, I was a uh, junior national team. After that, I ended up uh, getting a professional offer from the California Angels. And uh, they also offered me a chance to go to school. So I took the school route. Um, and, you know, it wasn't really what I wanted to do at the time. And it was something that, you know, I use nowadays as, you know, it's kind of like a regret. I don't like to call it a regret, but it's also something I've healed. So I can call it a regret um, because it's healed. But uh yeah, it's one of the driving forces, you know, b- behind a lot of the stuff that I do where I, you know, I don't want to ever wonder what if. So, um, you know, when I work with players and athletes and coaches and, you know, whoever I work with, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I want to I want to help them be able to make decisions out of strength and not out of fear or you know, just, oh, it's a safe thing to do. And I don't really want to do it, but it's kind of safe. And that's what I felt about that decision because people were telling me, oh, you're too small. You're too this, you're too that. And, you know, really, I guess I was, I was probably good enough at the time or they wouldn't offer me an offer, right? so. So like, but that belief in myself. So anyways, it's a big driving force to a lot of the stuff that I do now. But uh, yeah, that was an experience in my life. Um, And then it kind of bounced around after that playing, you know, some, they call it semi-pro ball. Uh, then I, yeah, I just, after baseball, it was kind of like mid to late 20s. And then uh, I decided to do something different and something I wanted to do for a long time. I was, I ended up uh, getting into the fire department. Talk about like having no regrets, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, we make a lot of decisions in our life that, you know, we quote unquote regret, but we can't regret them because they're what mold us into, into who yeah. we are. Right. And if you would have made that decision to, you know, sign the pro contract and not go to college, you wouldn't be where you are today. You wouldn't yeah, have yeah. had those experiences, right? It would, it would have taken you down a different path. Let's just kind of jump, jump back to that for a second because yeah, yeah. you were offered a pro contract yeah. and that is the dream of every baseball player yeah. is to get that offer. Um, but you did choose to go to school instead. So 
let's just talk about that and yeah. you know how difficult that decision must have been yeah what what caused that decision and yeah. and uh and let's just kind of dive into that yeah well you know it was pretty incredible time like everything in baseball was you know really i was having a lot of success you know on the field and and so you know i guess it just kind of morphed into that and i we met this scout and i went out and it was funny because i don't know i'm pretty sure they don't do it this way now but he you know like, took me out to a field and like ran me in the 60 and <laughs> you know we went to a batting cage and hit and like it was just like he had never seen me play but he guess he'd heard about me or whatever and so you know we were just kind of doing whatever we could to give me some ground balls and it was just you know and then yeah we he watched me play a couple times and all that but uh so then i had the opportunity to sign and you know i i was just looking for some guidance at the time too and and i really i guess it wasn't the guidance that I needed, like my parents, they obviously wanted the best for me and they were supportive and their philosophy or at the time it was like, you, you know, do what you want to do, do what's, you know, what you want. And I guess I maybe was looking for a little bit more of a push one way or the other, mm -hmm. um, you know, for whatever Help reason. make the decision for you. Kind yeah. Of. Like, you know, and, and that's comes from, you know, maybe not having that utmost belief in yourself that you can accomplish whatever you want to do and the self-doubt there yeah there was some some doubt and you know like these people that I look up to at the time to coaches and you know people in my life and it's again they were like oh man you you're never gonna like the bus ride they're all these bus rides and they're long hours and all this stuff oh you you know it's terrible and you're small like you're you know you're only 5'10 5'11 and you know, all these guys in the big leagues are, are huge. And unless like, man, these people that I looked up to in my life and they were telling me these things. So I believe them, right? Like in a sense, you kind of start to believe these people that you look up to, you trust in that. And that again, like side note, it's like, that is when I work with coaches, it's like, man, you got to understand the impact that you have on these players and every single word you take, everything they will take literally. So yeah we have to be so mindful of the way we interact with our players because that impact that we have will last a lifetime. You know, even if your intentions are good, they were looking out for me. I'm sure they were, you know, and they're doing the best that they can based, based on their experience in their yeah. life and, and that too. So there was no ill intention there. It was just, um, I started to believe that, I guess. And, and it was like, you know, when that contract was in front of me, we sat down and it was like, here it is. And it's like, all right, let's, you know, let's do this. And then it's like instantly this like rush of like, oh my God, like, uh, what am I doing? Like, I, you know, like, what yeah. if I don't like it? What if I don't this? What if, you know, if I go to school, then at least I, you know, it's, and safe. it's safe. It's safe, right? It's yeah. safe. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I did that. And, and, you know, like my first year, I struggled in school a little bit. I didn't really ever want to go to school. The only thing I ever wanted to do in my life was play professional baseball. And I had the opportunity is there. in front of me. And it's almost like I just knowing what I know now, um, you know, a little bit of fear of success too. Like, holy crap, I've reached my goals. Like what's after this? If I, if I do this, well then what's after this? It's like that fear of success too, not fear of failure, but almost like a fear of success that I have achieved what I wanted to achieve. And it's like, whoa, maybe I'm not ready for this, you know, like, um, yeah, and you're, 
So, you're never yeah. you're never going to be ready for anything. Like yeah. no matter what throws it, life throws at you, you're never going to be fully ready. So yeah. like with that situation, obviously going back, you do you do it differently. But yeah. that's that's what you want to like tell tell kids like, hey, step outside your comfort zone. Yeah. It's going to be scary. Don't don't go for the safe option. You know, I'm going to go to school and I'll get a degree, and that's safe. Like go for it. Like what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, you go you go play professional. It doesn't work out, and then you go to school. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like yeah. that fear just, of failure yeah. Yeah. is really what holds people back. And today I'm joined by former D1 softball player turned professional and now playing for the Texas Smoke in the women's professional fast pitch league, Anna Marie Bruni. How's it going? Hey everybody. How's it going? How did that opportunity come up? Were you like, were you in the draft or was that like, did you get signed or, or how did that work? So for me, it was kind of unconventional, but I like it that way. So they do a college draft. So that's where they draft people who are kind of graduating from college. And then they had an expansion draft where they had picked like free agents who have already been playing pro, whether that be, I think some were in AU, which is Athletes Unlimited, and then some were on, you know, some of the other teams in the WPF. But like this year's, there's the two new teams, OKC Spark and Texas Smoke. So for me... Um, I was actually, I just finished nursing school. So I graduated in May and I was in my last Congratulations semester. on that. Thank you. Yeah, I know it's like nurse in the off season and then <laughs> during season. But um, I had started my coaching page, which, you know, we know because we're friends on. Yeah. Um, and so I just continue to post my coaching content and then I sprinkle in me training as well, because if I'm around the game, I can't get away from it. <laughs> So, yeah, for sure. and I never really wanted to stop playing. It just, it's just the way that, um, you know, the draft works out of college and like not that many opportunities for women's softball, which it's definitely growing now. Um, and so I got reached out to by one of the GMs and they were just wondering if I was still ever interested in playing pro because they saw, you know, I was still in the game. It looked pretty athletic still. Um, I had a really great college career and, and if I was still in, you know, playing shape that they would love for me to come out. And so I just continue to send them videos of how I can still play and how my skills look. And then they, um, ended up sending me a contract and I, I signed that for this year. That's awesome. Right away. Obviously didn't have to think twice about that. Oh, literally no thought. I was like, I'm yeah. going Yeah, <laughs> nursing sure. will always be there. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can always go back to nursing. So like when you, when you finished college because you graduated in, in 2021 is that right or so i was a COVID senior so 2020 was supposed to be my year but i went back for a fifth year yeah okay so what what was your what was your plan after that like did you think you were done forever like um what, what were you what were you thinking yeah it was very difficult as i'm sure you know every athlete who's has to retire from their sport hang up the cleats type of thing is understands so for me it was very difficult because I knew that I could still play. I knew that I could compete and I'm just a competitor in general. So not really having a readily opportunity just to continue playing was tough for me, but I never thought I'd really play again until this kind of opportunity came about. And as soon as it did, I was like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm just, I'm very lucky to be where I am, but I think if I didn't like stay around the coaching game and like the continue of continuation of that, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Like social media is powerful. And I feel like for you, like, I feel like you went from zero to like a hundred thousand in like two in a months, literally yeah, in a crazy. month. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> and yeah. And just the power of social media, like players 
can like use it to their advantage. Like you even being like a retired college player, all of a sudden, just from you posting, now you're a professional player. Like that's just mm-hmm. crazy to think of. Like that wouldn't have that wasn't possible years ago, right? For like once you're done college and you didn't you didn't go anywhere after that. It's like, okay, now I'm gonna coach, which you've kind of been doing, but then they also see you still got it. And then now you're playing professional, which is like it's cra- it's awesome. crazy how that happened. And if you wouldn't have started posting on social media, then you would like you would still just be yeah. What advice would you give like younger girls who want to kind of follow in your footsteps? go play Div 1 and then and then eventually play professional? Like, what advice would you have to them? Um, I would say best advice is really just to keep your focus on, on the love of the game and focus on you as the athlete. I think um, what I've seen in a lot of my players and just from my own experience is like, as soon as you start to look at someone else's success and compare it to yours, it takes the fun out of the game. That's the reason you started playing. That's number one. And two, you're not realizing the like how much better you're getting every day or like what your goal is to get better. Um, so the more that you focus on and pouring into your cup, the better it's going to be. And then the more fun you have, the more the better you play, the better you play, the more you're going to want to keep grinding and getting better. So I really think it's just like it's not so much being selfish, but it is in a good way, right? Like mm-hmm. keep your tunnel vision on. And if your like goal is to play division one, if your goal is to play professionally, like after school, middle school, high school, like I was always in a net in my driveway, having my dad throw with me, my mom, like really you can be in this position if you put yourself in that position to get there. So that's kind of the biggest thing for me is like, keep it simple, you know, have a vision write down that vision. I like, I love to write and see them come to fruition. I think that's the coolest thing. So like at college, I would always have a notebook where at the start of season, I would write down like almost like um, a manifestation list of like, this is what I want for myself, whether that be like a personal goal, a team goal. And like with that, that kind of keeps a almost like, just like your headlights are on to that specific point, right? Like that's your goal. And you remind yourself every day, like, Hey, this is this is where I'm trying to get to. This is what I'm reminding myself that I want. So, And today I'm joined by the face of a system that we have, that we love, that our players love even more, Andrew Berry from Hit Tracks. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. The atmosphere when, when somebody hits a PR, like an exit velocity PR, distance PR, is just like, it's so awesome because everybody's celebrating each other, right? So you have that little like competition aspect, but they're also like in it together too, right? So they're high-fiving each other when, you know, when little Tommy hits a PR, they're high-fiving them and, and it just adds that excitement. Whereas like, you know, like as a coach, you can see when kids are getting better in the cage, but as a kid and you, you don't really see it, you know, you might feel, oh, maybe that felt a little bit harder or that felt a little bit more line drive. But when you physically see it on a screen, that's almost like a video game that you're getting better. It just drives them to even push themselves even more. And like I said, that competition, we had a bunch of uh, 14U guys. There was like four of them that were coming in like every day and they were just competing with each other and, and just getting better and better. And and that's that's what you want. That's what it does, right? That's what you want. Yeah, that's why you know we keep adding stuff like the training games too to help keep those competitions going and mix it up and put guys that, you know, that's the other thing is when you play a game, you do a league or a tournament, which, you know, my sales pitch has always been, it's a great revenue generator. It's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, families love to do it. The kids have a blast and they keep signing up, which is all true. But at the end of the day too, when you're playing a game on the system and 
a kid steps up to the plate with runners on second and third and two outs, and they're down one run in the sixth inning, and they see that on the screen. You see them in the cage. They knuckle up, and they start – they feel like they're in that moment. Yeah. And that kind of preparation mentally undoubtedly helps them when they go to the field, you know, the next weekend, and they're in that situation in the game. that They've been there before to some extent. Yeah. You know, it helps them transition on the field. I, I think that's one of, been one of the biggest benefits of, of – the gaming is kind of the mental aspect of it. Yeah, you, you get a lot of a lot of game like situations. Like even when you do like actually like physically like live abs in the cage, like we do that all the time. Where you know you have your pitcher, your catcher, and and you have your at bat, and you set it up like a real game. And you know when you don't have that, you hit it like okay, maybe that was maybe that was a hit, maybe that was whatever. But then you see it in like a real game, like oh, that was actually a bomb or that was actually a double, and that just kind of brings the more more competitive nature too in it and just help helps the guys you know just even more right we've done a few uh leagues like slow pitch leagues we did we did two in this winter and once people got in there and like realized how much fun it is like playing there's no like it's it's slow pitch softball for one so you don't have to run you don't have to throw it's like all the stuff that people like <laughs> adults yes. don't want to do i just want to hit just let me hit and and then they do that and then yeah and then it, it just it's just a lot of fun for people like for us, we're, we're northern BC, so we have a long winter. Um, just to get in the cage and, and you're playing games and you're still competing and you're you're still getting your swings in and and it's it was it was a lot of fun and you know we had we had a couple of leagues and, and tournaments and had had some trophies and stuff and and everybody just seemed to have have a lot of fun with it. So that's just like the gaming aspect. But then you kind of jump into like all the data capture that it that it takes. It just it just, just walk me through a little bit of that. Like what does it what does it track? Because there's so much that it tracks. Yeah. You know, we're most popular on the hitting side. We we have a pitching and a catching module as well too. Like you talked about doing live at bats and things like that. Um but on the hitting side, you know, exit velocity, launch angle, distance, the strike zone location um is a hugely underrated piece of the software in my opinion. I work with facilities, colleges, MLB teams um and i mentioned this to to a few people but as you see the level kind of rise right you go from high school to college to you know whatever minors to mlb i think the biggest difference that you see is the attention to detail on pitch selection and controlling the strike zone it becomes a full-time job just dealing with the strike zone in and of itself right there was one there was one coach um, who was with, uh, he was with an MLB team and then moved out to a college who told me, he's like, honestly, I would love a version of this where I can have your system. And it's just a big strike zone on the screen. Like, there are <laughs> moments where I just want the strike zone, um, because the attention to detail and pitch selection, it's such a huge part of it. Um, so that's a big aspect because the strike zone it's, it's accurate within a quarter of an inch, right? As long as you're freshly calibrated, um, mm -hmm. but it's, it's dialed in. Um, so then you also get things like point of impact, uh, showing where you're capturing, where you're contacting the ball in relationship to home plate. It helped me the other day. I went in to, to do a demo and I was firing up the machine and there was some high schoolers in there before me. And uh, they had the machine up a little faster than I was used to. <laughs> so I'm like, I was popping every ball up and I'm looking up at the at the screen and I see my contact point was literally like right on the tip of home plate, right? Like extreme, and I'm, I'm, at, I'm standing, you know, kind of right on the plate. So it's very far back in my swing. So just a moment like that, I looked up, I'm like, okay, I got to catch this out in front. And then the yeah. next pitch, 
I got six inches in front of home plate and hit it, you know, 320 feet for a double. No big deal, not to brag, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you get just... you get all that info and then you pair it with video that comes in and, and you tie the video to every single one of these swings. It builds a complete picture. Today's episode, I kind of just wanted to talk about success overall and what it takes to be successful in all areas of your life, not just in baseball. Um, because the same principles apply to everything in life, whether it's success in your business, in your baseball career, in life in general, every area uses these principles that I'm going to talk about today. Um, when COVID hit, our baseball facility got shut down. So I started a YouTube channel because I wanted to help our players continue to grow and continue to get better. Um, I had no experience whatsoever in YouTube, in recording videos in anything. I just knew baseball. I knew that I wanted to help people. So I started a YouTube channel and the videos were bad. The information was good, but the videos were bad. The quality was terrible. I had, you know, no subscribers. You know, the only people that would watch it were, were my mom at the time and, and, you know, my close friends that I would send them to. Um, but you got to start before you're ready. You have to start being terrible at something before you can be good at it. So no matter what it is in life, you're never going to be fully ready to start. You just have to start. You have to pull the trigger and steer the bullet after. You have to ignore the opinions of others. No matter what you do in life, people are going to criticize you. People are going to judge you. People are going to make fun of you no matter what it is. So if you're a young baseball player and you have dreams of being an MLB player, you're probably going to have people telling you that you can't do it or that you're too small or you're not good enough or whatever. If you listen to them, then yes, they're right. But if you ignore them, and you believe in yourself and focus on what you can do, work your butt off and not worry about what other people think about you, you will be successful. Because like I said, no matter what you do in life, people are going to make fun of you for it. And a lot of people will take advice from people who have no idea what they're talking about. So for me, when I started my fitness business and I was posting fitness content, people were criticizing what I was doing when they have no idea what they're talking about. They have no idea about fitness. They have no idea about how to grow a business. They have no idea about how to train clients. They have no idea about anything. All they know is what they know. So you have to take that in consideration when somebody tries to give you advice. Next piece of advice I have for you is you cannot be afraid of failure. Everybody fails. Winners fail, losers fail. But the difference between winners and losers is that the winners fail, learn, and then keep going. Losers fail and quit. So no matter what you're doing in life, what you're trying to be successful in, if you fail, take that as an opportunity to learn from that failure and then continue to grow. And especially if you're a baseball player, you have to be okay with failure because the best players in the world fail seven out of 10 times. So you have to get comfortable failing and you have to know that with every failure, there is a lesson. Success does not happen overnight. People always talk about overnight successes when in reality, those people have been working and working and working and working to get to that point. And then people started to take notice. So all the work that you do today is eventually going to pay off. Like you go back to my YouTube channel. Um, I started off very bad on camera. I was the last person that would put myself on camera when I started the YouTube channel. And then the more I did it, the better I got at it. The uh, more comfortable I got. And by doing that, by trusting the process, being patient, doing that for a couple of years, now it's my full-time job to talk to the camera, to make videos. That is my full-time job. I was able to quit my engineering job because of that. And if I would have never started the YouTube channel and put myself on camera, got uncomfortable, then that would never would have happened. Which leads me to my next point is you have to step outside your comfort zone, no matter what it is. True growth happens outside of your comfort zone. You're never going to grow if you stuck if you stick yourself inside your comfort zone. Everything that's easy for you now and comes comfortable to you now was once uncomfortable. But you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. 
if you would have asked me years ago if I would have a YouTube channel, if I would be posting tips online, if I would have a podcast, the answer would be absolutely no, because I was terrified of putting myself on camera. I was terrified about public speaking. I was terrified about all of that stuff. But I stepped outside my comfort zone, made that being uncomfortable comfortable, and that's where I am today. And the next tip that I have for you is that environment is everything. You are a product of the five people you surround yourself with. If you're a young baseball player right now and the five people you spend the most time with don't have the same goals as you, then you need to find new friends. If the people you're hanging out with are trying to convince you to come down to their level and not work and go to these parties and oh, you don't need to go train, come do this, then you need to find new friends because your environment is everything. You are a product of the five people you spend the most time with. And going back to when I was an alcoholic, I was an alcoholic because I spend the most of my time with other alcoholics. I spend my time with people who would drink every night, drink every weekend and just party, make bad decisions. And that's who I became. Now I'm taking full responsibility because it was all my choice to do that. But when you put yourself in that environment, you're more likely to adapt to that environment and become those people. So if you surround yourself with five goal-driven, successful people, chances are you're going to be successful too. So take a look around you. Take a look at the five closest people that you hang out with. Find out what their goals are. If their goals and their drive doesn't match you, then you need to find new friends. And today I'm joined by the other half of Northern Baseball Training, my brother, Chris Clark. What's up, dog? What's up, man? Back on the show again, making a second appearance on the show. How's it feel? I'm back. Um, I kind of just wanted to chat with you a little bit and give the listeners a little bit of a backstory about us and how we started uh, because we've grown a ton just over the last you know year or two. Just a couple of dudes training a handful of kids in Upper Jimville High School with zero social media followers to over 100,000 followers on all platforms, YouTube channel, podcast, our own 5,700 square foot facility, you know, in just a few years. So yeah. So like pretty much like me and uh, me, you and Brandon, like when we would be hanging out, we just like talk about just the state of like our city's baseball programs and and just how we came up and 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 what we learned as we were getting older like i think that it just kind of started there where we would just family get togethers we just talk about what we should do what we could do and and everything like that and then me and Brandon were working on a job doing a renovation and we would just nonstop just talk about how we didn't want to be there <laughs> And it'd be cool if we did this and it'd be cool if we did that. And and then it just kind of grew into like, hey, like my girlfriend at the time, Kayla, she could probably make us a logo. <laughs> and then it just kind of started with that. And then we would talk all day and then we brought it up to you, got it to you. And we were like, hey, man, like we should do this. Like, let's let's start doing some camps. And that, that's kind of how it all started was just, hey, we should do a, a summer camp or a winter camp and let's just kind of see where it goes. And and that's kind of where it started. The conversation started. And then yeah. once we, we started talking to you about it, then like, you know, ideas started going and well, Brandon was doing some lessons, uh, training some kids, um, just a handful of kids. And we were just like, yeah, let's make it into like a real thing. And we just kind of went from there and went from talking about doing a, a camp to, Hey, we should do some weekly training and yeah, we could rent out this high school. It's got a, it's got a batting cage and, the upper gym and then they kind of just started going from there yeah i remember i remember i like remember when you guys came to me when it was like okay let's like seriously do this after all the years of like yeah let's do this, this. you guys like okay like this is it and you guys even had a name already picked You're like northern baseball <laughs> training this is what it's called and uh <laughs> and, and um like let's just do it let's like let's do a camp 
And like at that time, I remember like I was like, I was like super like motivated and driven just at that time, just with like like life and stuff in general. I was like, yeah. and right, I was like, I'm like, boom, let's do it. And I think that night I went and registered us for a business license. Cause like, <laughs> I kind of Googled it. I was like, okay, let's let's get a business license. Like, let's like actually do this this time. Whereas before it's always like, hey, let's do this. Like, yeah, you know, like like most people when they have a dream or a goal, they're like, Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, okay. And then they leave and then nothing ever happens. And it, we were like that for, for so long. It was like, yeah, that's awesome. Okay, let, let's let's do it. Let's let's chat. We'll chat about it later. And then it never came. But this time was different. You're like, it's called Northern Baseball Training. We're going to do this. We're, we're going to start camps. We're going to do training. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And then we got it set. And then we're like, Kayla, logo. And then she made us the logo. Um, and then we set the date and it just, it just kind of went from there. And it's funny. I remember when we were chatting, we're like, this is like a, a we'll, we'll give a lot of lessons to people who want to, who want to start this. We're like in our brain, we're like 400 kids. You know, that's, that's, they're all like, who wouldn't want to sign up? They're, they're all going to sign up. It's going to be awesome. And then we, we posted about it and then it like a couple signed up at first. We're like, like, what's going on? Like I thought all 400 people would sign up in like in the, the first day. And, you know, you, you kind of learn about stuff like that. And then people slowly started to, to, to roll in and like, okay, but like anything, like people knew who we were like as players, but yeah. you still got you still got to prove yourself as like like coaches and like that you can do this. And Brandon had already been doing some coaching and stuff, so he kind of had his name out there in like the coaching, and people knew us as players. But then we ended up getting we ended up getting like fifty kids with for our first camp, which was which was awesome. Yeah. And we had that first camp, and it was it was a blast. Like we obviously learned a lot from that camp, and and just kind of carried on from there. And then after that camp, like you said, Brandon was Brandon was training in the upper gym of, of the high school. So we started doing our training and we got like five kids from that camp to start yeah. training with us. And same thing. We're like, oh, all 50 kids are going to start training with us. It's yeah. going to be awesome. And we had five, which we were like, whatever. But we rented the upper gym of PGSS. And the only time we could get was eight o'clock at night <laughs> on a weekday. So like yeah. you're trying to get kids and parents to drop their kids off at eight o'clock at night to start their yeah. their training for an hour which, yeah. for an hour which, which which was tough but we like you said we started with a, with a couple kids and and we kind of we kind of built it from there and a couple turned into a handful turned into 10 they turned to turn to more and more <laughs> i remember i tried to make our logo <laughs> i did it in like because like i did it in autocad i think and i was like I just like put a picture of a guy hitting and like traced it and yeah. like, whatever. I was like, how's yeah, this? Because we were go? talking about the silhouette. We were like, let's yeah. do like a silhouette. And, and then I tried yeah, to do it myself. Were... Like, how's this look? I, I thought it looked legit. I was like, oh yeah, man, that looks sick. Like, let's <laughs> let's just see if Kayla can uh, tighten it up a little bit. And she just looked at it. It was just like, nah, <laughs> absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, not and then she and she came over with her own. And we're like, oh okay. <laughs> That's that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah, not like a a cartoon that like seven year old drew. I think like the the thing that's helped us too is that just everything, all the money just went back into the oh into yeah the business. Like you know, yeah, like we, we all we had our own jobs. It's not like we we're we we're trying to keep this thing rolling and support three adult men no. and families. <laughs> so no, we, I, I we put everything big, back in. Yeah, that was like a big thing on like how it grew so big was just. You know, like it's not like we were dipping into the pie every all the time. It's just everything goes back to the kids. Like we we don't need it. It's let's try to create a program that will help these kids get better and and make good choices with with ball. And I think that was kind of what pushed it to the next. Like keep climbing. 
Yeah, because we we could have easily taken you know uh, like some money off of each camp, each training, split it up three ways, and then and then you know sick we got we got some extra spending money on our own. But since day one, we're like we're not in this to make a bunch of money. Like we're in this to to really grow the sport here, to really make an impact, and that's that's how how we have is because every dollar that we make goes back into the company plus our own money out of our own pocket just yeah. just to 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 build the best training facility and training program that we can like we had like a meeting with Brandon we were just we were just talking about the upcoming camp or whatever and we were just like like we might be able to get into a a space like it won't be big but yeah it'll it'll probably be enough for us to we'll have a storage room to put our ball equipment <laughs> yeah like we can get a cage and I think we just started like loosely looking at places around town and, and we found a couple places. We looked at a couple and we're just like, man, this would be so sick. And it's like eight foot ceiling. (laughs) We can (laughs) do something in this. And then we ended up getting like a way smaller place, which was 800 square foot, like garage, which is where we, where we started with with like a little like waiting room, which was like, like a hundred square feet. Like it was tiny. (laughs) Um, But that's where we started. And when we walked in, I remember we walked in and it was like, like dumpy. Like it was, they had had like homeless people living in there and yeah, it was just trash everywhere, like garbage everywhere. Like the wall was destroyed. Like we had to do a huge renovation, but we could see the vision. It was all jacked up. Like we like literally redid the bathroom. We redid drywall. Like we tore down walls and yeah, it was like, we completely renovated. It was was like a, like a, a dump before. And we, but we saw the vision. We're like, okay, this is, this is perfect. Like most people would walk in and be like, nope, <laughs> see yeah. ya. But like we, like, we walked in, the, we, we like ignored like the garbage. We're like, okay, this is what we could do here. Like, this is like good, whatever. We'll do this, this, and this. And then we're like, yeah, we'll take it. Cause it was, it was pretty cheap. Um, yeah, but because it was, it was, it was a and they, dump. he almost got us hooked like the, the, the landlord. Cause he was renting up the upstairs. upstairs and we were like, oh man, like that, that's perfect. We can do weights and gym. And it was just too big at the time for us. Like we just needed a, a cage. Like we we needed yeah. to get get training, uh, get our own spot, and that's it was perfect for what it was. And and we put a lot of work into that. Oh yeah, like, there was a, a lot, lot of nights. work. Yeah, a lot of nights just cleaning stuff up, doing drywall, mudding, taping, painting. Like we got in there actually in November. It yeah, it was October, October. November. Yeah, and then COVID hit that next year. Yeah, we right? just got it cleared up like we just got it ready to go like by november i think we were training we started back up in january and then by march we we had to shut down yeah uh, that was like a whole nother mess and yeah uh, and like with with like covid like that was one of the one of the best things to happen for for us as a business i think because you know obviously we had to shut down which was devastating but that that caused me to start the youtube channel which eventually led to led to where we are with the social media and that but on top of that like once we got opened up again pgyba like all the leagues shut their leagues down yeah like there was no baseball like like no 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 austin so like when we normally take the summers off of our normal training because the kids have their own their own leagues their own tournaments everything there they just kind of don't really have time for extra training on top of everything that they're doing we kept going that whole summer and that's where we we trained a whole bunch of the kids that we still have now because of that summer where we'd normally take it off we worked with them and and that resulted in us being able to buy hit tracks and today i am joined by the owner of active body nutrition and a big supporter of us since we started kara roberts how's it going 
Hello, I'm great. How are you? Somebody, you know, with a background like you, uh, today I kind of just want to dive into into fitness, into athletic performance, nutrition, hydration, supplementation, all that good stuff. Because I know a lot of that stuff kind of gets overlooked, especially with young athletes, especially with their parents as well. So I know this is going to be very valuable with, with, with uh, hearing from you. People people don't look at, at food as fuel. They look at, at it as just something that tastes good because I'm hungry, <laughs> where, you know, our body is a machine. I think it all starts with the parents, right? Yeah. Like it all, like you said, like you, your kids are going to do what you do and not what you say. So it all starts with the parents Like you want your kids to grow up to be, you know, strong, healthy. But if you're doing the exact opposite, then they're going to, they're going to, following your footsteps and yeah, they're kids. So, you know, it might not show up in them like right away because they are, you know, kids and they're active and whatever, but you know, they're developing the habits, right? They're developing eating habits, they're de developing fitness habits, they're de developing hydration habits. They're developing all these habits that you're just passing down to them, which eventually once they're done being kids, it's going to catch up to them and then they're going to pass it down to their kids. That's right. So, um, you it's all it off where you are now with your generational change with I've seen videos of your cute little son mimicking and lifting weights. Yeah. Any other kid that's never seen their parent do that at his age, they wouldn't know what that was. They wouldn't like go up to this object and pick it up and, you know, curl yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Like they, they're watching you and they're learning. And, and, you know, if you're just, if you're like not eating right and you always feel like crap and you have no energy and you're sluggish because of what you're eating and you're not exercising, like, Eventually that's going to, they're going to follow in, in their footsteps. And like I said, be the generational change. That's what I tell all my clients. Like usually most people who are overweight and unhealthy, their parents are overweight and unhealthy and so on. And then their kids are going to be overweight and unhealthy unless somebody decides to make a change. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's with fitness or that's with like anything with like life in general, with, with following your dreams. Like if somebody decides to not, Hey, I'm not going to work that nine to five anymore. I want to follow my dreams and actually do it. Because, you know, your parents worked in 95, their parents worked in 95, you, they went to school and got it. Like, that's what, that's what, that's your, what you your, and I both did. Yeah. You're, both you're bred. Did it was scary. Yeah. You're, you're bred to do that. It's because you're, you're, you're wired. Your brain is wired to, to do that because it's safe. Right. Um, and like I said, yeah, I did that. Like I worked an engineering job for 12 yeah. years and then, and then to leave that to pursue my dream is difficult, but it's like, it's possible. And you just have to go for it. You have to rewire your brain and what society trains you to do. We understand. We get it. Everything is about action. You yeah. can talk a big talk all you want. You can say you want things for yourself, but unless you actually do it, it's never going to happen. And I remember the day that it happened for you. And I could tell by your like confidence that you're doing this now, that you've accepted it, that you are going to be very successful doing it, which is key to everything, including fitness. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about taking action. Like even, even with, with Northern baseball training, when, when we started it, like we, we talked about it for so long, like we should do this, we do, should do this. And then finally, like one day we had the conversation, we're like, okay, let's actually do this. And we took <laughs> action. Like we didn't, we didn't know how to start a business. We didn't know how to, like, all we knew was like, baseball. <laughs> exactly. You just learn, you learn as yeah. you go. Like nobody, anybody who's anywhere had to learn how to get there. Like nobody's born just knowing everything and how, how to get to where they go. They just learn and they get there. So <laughs> we took action with that. And like, we didn't, we didn't know where we we're going, went in blind and, and got to where we are. But most people have ideas and just no action. Like even like I have so many like baseball buddies and we, we open up a batting cage and they're like, oh, I was going to do that. You know, I had that idea. It's like, well, everybody has the idea. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody has these dreams that they want to do it, but nobody takes like, action. People say to me they want to compete. I'm like, oh, 
do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be, I want to be shredded. It's like, well, you know, it takes work and you have to like, it's not just, yeah, let's just kind of jump into um, nutrition and, and with kids and, and like athletic performance with kids and how important it is because, you know, even me as a kid, like I played a lot of sports, but I didn't have any of those habits. Like I didn't know how to fuel my body for, for sports. I don't think I ever drank water ever. Right. And I think a lot of kids are the same. And like I said, it starts with the parents and, and get, getting them to understand it so that they can pass it down. So as much as this is about kids, this is the, like information for parents to know so that they can, like, they're the one that's feeding the kids. Right. So how I important is it? Part of my meetings when I am um, helping the nutrition for young athletes, it is more important that the person in charge of food is there, whether it's a billet or whether it's a parent, they're responsible up until a certain age. And of course I direct the conversation to the kid because they need to be a part of it and they're bringing home their Tupperwares and they're washing them themselves and getting them packed with their parents. Yeah, definitely. So like how important is it for kids to, you know, just, just for athletic performance, like how important is it for them to, to fuel their body properly? And like, what should they be eating during when, when they're getting ready for, for a practice or a game? Like how, how are, let's just kind of dive into that a little bit. On the measure of how important is it? Like we, you already touched on this, but people will put so much money into equipment. People will put so much money into the coaching. They'll put so much money into this and so much time and they forget the most important component. You are your vehicle. You are like the thing that's doing the stuff. So why would you not take as good, if not better care of that? So one of the most important things for anybody to fuel themselves with is going to be a carbohydrate when they want sports performance. Uh, carbs and fats are the ones that give you energy. Okay. You do not get energy from your protein source. So when you're eating your meat, your cottage cheese, your Greek yogurt, your egg whites, your protein powders, that is going to be just something to help you build and maintain and protect your muscles, which will touch base on the protein source. But for kids, kids only need about half of their weight, their body weight in protein in a day. I assess when I look at a kid, if there's a kid that's, you know, close to six feet already, <laughs> his mom's yeah, like a little bit more 14, like you yeah. could probably handle a bit. Your kidneys are probably pretty developed. So kids only need about half their body weight in protein. They need to fuel their bodies more with the carbs and the fat. Big thing you see is like with tournaments, like they're out of town. Kids are living off like concession food or gas station food, or they're grabbing, you know, pizza in between games or hot dogs or whatever. And that's just, that's just not good for, for performance when you have a game. You want to go to, you want to sit on the couch when you have pizza. (laughs) Yeah. When I'm at the lake or camping and I'm having hot dogs, do you think the first thing I want to do is jump up and run around and play after? (laughs) <laughs> Definitely not. What would be what would be a good a good thing to to have on the road? So meal prep companies. If you look up a meal prep or food service companies, they typically have health and nutrition and whole foods in mind. So that's one thing you can do. The other thing is I love the saying, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. So getting yourself organized ahead of time. You all know your schedule. You all know when you're going out of town. Oh yeah. You don't- Make it a last minute rush of crazy, right? So a lot of things that I will do if we're going on the road is I will prepare a few Tupperwares ahead of time and I will do something that I do enjoy eating cold, say fried rice, some kind of meat like shrimp or chicken that I enjoy and I get it all chopped up and ready to go and I have a special fork that I love. I have a lunch kit that has ice packs that keep food cold for 16 hours. That's the ultimate, but that's not something people are willing to do anymore. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, some amazing conversations with some amazing people. So I highly recommend you go back and check out the full episodes. You will not be disappointed. Now, look, I don't make any money off of these episodes. I do it because I love sharing knowledge and giving you guys as much value as I can from myself and some amazing individuals. So if you guys like this episode or if you like any episode, then please share it with a friend and help spread the word about this podcast.